0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: Well, let me share with you, I have a... uh, Part one of a two part series that I presented. Those of you who have been regular faithful attendees here at Rosh Pini you know that I rarely do, uh, on, on Shabbat morning, I rarely do any type of a continuing thing. I do like to seek the Lord each week and what will He have me say. But then He, I believe, He gave me two particular messages to share. And the first one uh, I call Return of the 70s. Return of the 70s. And This particular message, if you had a chance to read this week's Torah portion and the other readings, and again, I would add on to what Shelby shared, Leslie faithfully puts all that information into our communique, and it's extremely helpful for us. But part of that information, and some of the most important part, is the listing of scripture readings, which include readings from the Torah, the first five books, usually the, also the writings, and then the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant. And if you had a chance to read that, you realize, or maybe you probably deduced, as I did, that God wants to be involved with the lives of his people. How many believe that? God wants to be involved in the lives of his people. And it's not just a superficial involvement, but it's, all, it's a major involvement on every particular level. So in new, new Covenant terms, Yeshua, Yeshua the Messiah, wants to be Lord over all areas of our life. Now that seems axiomatic to say that, almost cliche to say, well, he wants to be Lord over every area of our life. But have you ever thought about the implications of that statement? That idea, that truth that he wants to be Lord over every area of our life. Have you ever thought about it? How impacting that is if we take that serious? If we are serious about him being Lord of every area of our life, that is a very impacting idea. Because that means everything we do 24-7, we think in terms of his Lordship, his Lordship throughout the whole day and the whole night, no matter what we're doing or what we're saying, and if you do that, I think you'll realize, as I do, that I fall short many times. Am I the only one that realizes that here today, that sometimes you fall short? You may have days where your words go astray. You may have days where your emotions go astray. You have days where your feelings are off. You have days where you've done the wrong things, or the sin that so easily besets you grabs hold of you. And yet, I think it's comforting to know that Yeshua wants to be Lord over all our life and he's with us even at times when we think he may be very distant. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 is a verse many people have memorized. Perhaps you're here hearing this and you have this verse memorized. And what I would suggest to you about this verse, there's much to say about it, is that it's intimate in ancient thinking, and even somewhat to our modern-day thinking, sitting down in, a, in a, you know, a, a, a warm meal with someone, supping with them, as the old King James says, is, is a, an intimate thing. And I know now we hit the big R's, the restaurants all over the place, and we have a great fellowship, and I certainly have enjoyed that over the years. But sitting down in a a mishpacha in a family atmosphere, and, and fellowshipping over a meal is an intimate thing. And here's what Yeshua said in Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, who's doing the action there? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine, I will sup with him. But it doesn't just say that, it says, I will sup with him and he with me. And he with me. There's a mutuality there that Yeshua desires to have with his people. And I believe it reflects quite greatly upon the Torah portion as we read all the different intricacies at the end of Devarim, Deuteronomy, all the, all the different mitzvot commandments that are there. Some are called positive commandments, some are negative. But all of these seem to point to us that Yeshua wants to be involved, the Lord wants to be involved in our lives. And I would suggest to you today, this Shabbat, that that is a good thing. It is a good thing to have the Lord involved in our lives. And I would also say the antithesis of that is when we keep the Lord out of our lives, that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing. Now, in this trying age we live in, and it is trying, it is trying, how comforting and how reassuring it is to know that, that Messiah's words that he spoke are there for us. His, his promises that he, he gave to his people are available for us. For example, let me remind you of God's love and care this morning. Just through some of the things that Yeshua said, how about John chapter 10 verse 14? I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. Or how about Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? How many times over the decades that I've been a believer, this verse has helped me. Maybe you can relate to it. Will you hear the beckoning call of the Lord to you, you're in the middle of a difficult time, and what does he say? He didn't say, get away from me. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or maybe the invitation that's found in Yochanan, John chapter 6, verse 37, where Yeshua is explaining to those, and they were adversarial towards him to some degree. He's explaining to them. He says to them, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So whatever you're facing today, I'm, I'm encouraging you. Take it to the Lord. Take it to him. He cares. He wants to be involved intimately with our lives. He wants to be there. He's an ever-present help for us. And we hear that often here. I like to say these things often at Rosh Pina on Shabbat morning. I speak differently on Tuesday when we do our Bible study. But I want you to know today the love and care of the Lord. And I believe his hand is very heavy on this congregation. Very good things that he's doing. Yeah, (laughs) there are those that say, sure, sure. All that was beautifully stated 2,000 years ago. Beautifully stated by the Lord 2,000 years ago. And they offer this secondary idea, this idea, well, that was also wonderfully stated back back then. I just love those words. They're beautiful. But they say, things are different now. Things are different now. And you know, to some degree, they're correct. Society's different, isn't it? Just think about how many people have been looking on your phone today in this congregation. <laughs> some, some are with the Bible, but some are doing other things. We drove here today. Well, at the time of Yeshua, if we had pulled into one, the Sermon on the Mount, driving a Volvo, we would have turned heads. How many agree you would have turned some heads there? Yeah, there's some societal differences, of course. But you know something, friends here today? There has been no heavenly change at all. There's societal changes, the the ebb and flow of societies. We've had a lot of that in my, my life. I've seen lots of ebbs and flows, ups and downs. Some of it was harrowing. Some of it helped lead me to the Lord many years ago, the uncertainty of it. But on a heavenly level, there's no change. His throne is established. There's no change. He's, he's, as it says in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, another verse, many of you have memorized Yeshua the Messiah is the same when, yesterday, today, and forever. And to my own way of thinking, the unchangeable nature of our Messiah reminds me of something that the prophet Malachi Malachi said he uttered this to at the time uh, the, the very a very unfaithful people around him and he rose up among them and what a task he had because he confronts the Kohanim the priest if you read Malachi chapter 2 and then in Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 the number is a little different in the Hebrew." He says, for I am the Lord, speaking in the name of the Lord, Malachi says, for I am the Lord, and the Lord says through Malachi, guess what, I do not change. His steadfast love, his steadfast character, his faithfulness, all the things that we, the, the, the traits of the Lord, he's an unchangeable God, and I'm thankful for that. You know, you don't have to hit a moving target with your faith. He's there. He's the rock of our salvation. For I am the Lord, I do not change. And then there's this secondary line that he says, Malachi says, (laughs) therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. The idea if we extrapolate that upon it, it was based upon us and how we are, what would happen to us? The wages of sin is death and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God everyone, don't let anyone try to use chicanery and and lie to you or misrepresent their own walk we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but the gift of God is eternal life uniquely and only as Josh pointed out in the liturgy through Yeshua who is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father, how? except through him there's no one like the Lord, as we sang today. ein kamocha, Adonai. There's no one like you. But Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. And in the very next verse in Malachi 3, 7, in the English reckoning, the Lord pleaded with the people through Malachi, and what does he say to them? Return to me. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. How many times do we need to return to the Lord and keep returning to him? Make sure make sure that in our daily walk, we go to him who's unchanging and go to him who's the rock that we can trust. He's our, our strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong and mighty tower and the righteous run into that and they're safe. So immediately after God calls them to, to return to repent, he declares to them exactly how he knew they would respond to that. You know, God knows us very well. How many believe God knows you very well? He does. He knows you very, very well. He knows all of us very well. It says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, the very next statement, in what way shall we return in what way shall we return i think in some ways that question still looms to this generation in what way shall we return in other words in which areas of my life do i need to change knowing that i stand before an unchanging almighty god I stand before him day in and day out, 24-7 before an almighty, unchanging God who has expressed his love to us by sending his son, Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, to die for our sins. And not just to lay down his life vicariously for us, but also to rise from the dead, to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And can I say this right now? He's coming back again and is getting sooner and sooner. Or to quote the late Andre Crouch, Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. In which areas of my life do I need to change is a question we all should have. And if your life is very real like mine is, how many of you live a real life? <laughs> you have things going on. You realize that sometimes you fall through. You have to turn to the Lord. He is your yes, you are. He is your salvation. There's nowhere else to turn. It's not Washington, D.C. And dare I say this, as a citizen of Israel, I'm going to say this. It's not Jerusalem. <laughs> it's our Messiah. That's where we turn. It's him. So I mentioned the name of this message. Part one of two is uh, "Return to the 70s." Return to the 70s, and in this case, the 70s seven are seven-letter D words, words that begin with the letter D. That I think we need to return to, and I say we. I think it applies to all of us. And I'm referring to seven areas in our lives. As the question was, in what way shall we return? In which areas of my life shall I return to the Lord? Shall I turn towards him? I'm suggesting to you 7D words to consider here this Shabbat morning. Seven areas in our lives that we should give some attention to, increasing attention that we should grow in and things that we should tend carefully in our lives. How many of you have been growing a garden this year? I've attempted. <laughs> you found out, well, maybe you didn't, but I did. You found out if you don't tend it well, <laughs> there are these things that pop up and they're not tomato plants and you know squash plants. They're called weeds, weeds. They pop up. We need to tend and make sure that the weeds in our life are not taking too deep root. They need to be plucked up and pulled out so good fruit can come forward. So each of the seven areas that I'm going to briefly say, the longest ones I'm going to speak are the first two. Each of these seven areas that I want to mention. Each of these are derived from Scripture. I'll share some Scriptures, and in your own understanding, you can probably add many other validated Scriptures to these seven D areas. Each of them do begin with the word of D to describe them. And these seven that I'm presenting, I'm not necessarily presenting them in order of importance. That's somewhat of a value judgment, but I'm presenting them to you for your consideration to maybe tend this area. Maybe make sure you look at it carefully. If there are weeds growing, make sure you pluck those out. Ask the Lord to help you. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about by area number one. The first D of the seven Ds is area number one. And it's connected all with the overall theme. All seven of these are to having a successful life in the Messiah. A successful life, not as the world necessarily deems success. Yeshua once made a statement that was, must have been harrowing, challenging to those that listened to it. Well, he made many like that, by the way. But one time he said to his listeners, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. That which is highly esteemed among men. In other words, all this stuff that mankind puts at some kind of extreme level of importance, he says it's, it's an abomination. It points us to that there are other things more important in life than certain things that maybe the world is trying to tell us are important. I think this one's area one, the first D of the 70s. It begins with the letter D, and that's doctrine, doctrine. Some translations say teaching, but doctrine. Now, I want to say more about this particular area than perhaps the other six that will come briefly afterwards. But I believe that if a person goes astray in the area of doctrine, if they go astray, that can impact them significantly. And in some cases, even their eternality, it will impact. Let me express what I mean. Paul told young Timothy... In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, he said, Godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is. So godliness has promise for the life that now is and of that which is to come. There seems to be some transferal here with godliness. The life that now is it impacts and also godliness impacts the life that is to come. Now, later on in First Timothy chapter four, verse sixteen, Paul said this to Timothy Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, teaching. And then right afterwards, there's three words that says, Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now, the question comes, it's a rhetorical question, but the question goes, well, if you don't continue these things, you don't take care of yourself, and you don't stick with sound doctrine, what do you get from that? Well, certainly, you come under this scrutiny of the Lord, would be the minimum. And I appreciate how the Amplified Version states this particular verse. If you'll listen carefully, please, to this. It says, Pay close attention to yourself. And then there are some brackets. Pay close attention to yourself. The Amplify Version was meant to, to be some, some way of bringing the Greek sense to the English mind. Pay close attention to yourself. And then it says this in brackets concentrate on your personal development. Concentrate on your personal development. And then it says, and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Hold to them, it says. The amplified version of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. But did you catch this idea of concentrate on your personal development? I caught that. Concentrate on it. Put some focus on this. And what you're doing personally. Make sure you're developing correctly. Make sure you're within the realm of sound doctrine. If we build our life on false doctrine and false false beliefs, we will miss the whole mark that God has for us. We'll end up astray to some direction, and many have fallen into strange cults, etc. When I first became a believer many years ago, I almost went into a strange cult. It was called the Children of God. Did anybody ever hear of the Children of God? The less, the better. And it was only through the insight of an elder because I was a new believer and I wasn't raised in the Christian church at all. My affinity was to Judaism. That's where I was raised. That's how I felt. That's how I was raised. And so I ended up going towards this strange cult. It sounds so alluring, doesn't it? Children of God. Who doesn't want to be a child of God? Do you want to be a child of God? You are a child of God if you're a believer. And I was like, wow, I got to do this. Even went down to their headquarters in Staten Island, New York. Had dinner with them. But an elder went with me. You know, elders can be helpful, by the way. (laughs) An elder went with me to there. And they were ready to receive me into their cult. I didn't know it was a cult. And that elder spoke to me. That evening when we left Staten Island, he spoke to me and said, I don't think that's a good thing. I have little to no discernment not being raised in the church. The Bible was new to me. He said, I don't think that's a good thing there. And you know what happened? I listened to him. (laughs) You know what would have happened if I didn't listen to that elder? He was the elder in my life. I don't know what would have happened. How many of you are glad that God has his ways of intervening in your life? How many of you have experienced God intervening in your life? How many of you are thankful that God really does tend our life, and he will if we we let him? I am. I stand grateful before you today. But if we, in the area of personal development, we latch into false doctrine, and end up in some strange beliefs. And you know the Messianic Judaism. Mainstream Messianic Judaism is very sound doctrine. But there's peripheral things. Peripheral things that are really aberrant teachings. They're not even accepted among the, in the Messianic community. I'm going to mention several of these. Strange doctrines. That sometimes folks get latched into these things. One of them is called the sacred name. Another one's two-house theology. It's a terrible anti-Semitic belief. Another one is one law, one law. Another one is unrecognized remediation. and That's too many big words to say there, but it's a serious doctrinal error. Unrecognized remediation. Some get totally lapped into oral Torah and think it's binding upon them. Some end up with Torah-centricity, put the Torah as the center of their life, and Yeshua's somewhere out in planet X out in the universe. And then a big one, and some of these tap into all this, is the denigration of the deity of Yeshua. Yeshua becomes, to some, a lesser God, you know, an inferior one. And that doesn't at all ring with what scripture teaches. In the beginning was the word, the word was, was God, the word is God, and through him all things created. There was nothing created without him. That sounds like deity to me. How many think that sounds like deity to you? <laughs> and I mentioned some of these, such as one law, two house, etc., because on the IAMCS.org website, there are position papers Mainstream Messianic Jewish theological position papers, and that you can read—they're free. You can read them that explain why these are errors. For example, one law or two house. Why are these? Why are these errors? Even sacred name, unrecognized remediation. There, and I'm thankful that this congregation, Rosh Pina, was established over 30 years ago by the original elders to be a part of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America, the IAMCS. And this important and national and international affiliation has been maintained despite many different things that have come and gone winds of doctrines. That's been maintained in this congregation all this time. I've been here, Miriam and I, our family's been here for 23 years now of that 30 or so years and I'm so thankful for the national international affiliation. So that, that's all I'm going to say about this. But D number one of the seven Ds is doctrine. Give attention to that. Make sure you're being biblical. Make sure you're within the realms of authority when it comes to doctrine. But let me give you area number two. The rest of these are much shorter than what I just said. Area number two is also a D discerning discerning the will of God there's much to say about discernment but for our purpose here today I want to talk with discerning the will of God how many would agree that it is important to know the will of God how many agree with that now put your hands down please I have another Michael Paul here (laughs) we agree it's important to know the will of God how many agree that it's important that you personally do the will of God All right, some of you slipped your hand up on that one. <laughs> but Ephesians chapter five verse 17 says, and it's often quoted, but it's an important passage in a list of instructions that Rob Schoel gives, "Therefore do not be unwise." But understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, this is a new covenant commandment of which it's reported there are over a thousand of them. But this particular commandment seems to have two commandments within one. The first part is don't be unwise. The second part is understand what the will of God is. Now, if you look at the verse prior to this, Ephesians five seventeen, and it's been said all writing involves thought process. The thought process that clings to this, that occurs beforehand, says this idea in Ephesians 5, 16, redeem the time. What? Because the days are evil. Redeem the time. A truly wise person, truly wise person will not waste time, will not waste time, but will daily use the 24-7 that God gives, daily wisely, Use the 24-7 that God gives for good, profitable, and useful things. And also, when we think about wisdom, it says, Don't be unwise, understand what the will of the Lord is. When we think about wisdom, we recognize that the center point of wisdom is the Lord Himself. It says that and let's look at First Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of him you are in Messiah Yeshua. If you're a believer today, you are in Messiah Yeshua by faith. But of him you are in Messiah Yeshua who became for us wisdom from God. I like that it continues after this, by the way. (laughs) He became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now, that's a lot of wonderful ands right there. Let me read that again. But of him you are in Messiah Yeshua who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So, area number two involves discerning the will of God. That's the second D. Here's the third one. Area number three: 3D. <laughs> this is a tough one. And I can tell you that what I've been doing for many years now, in messianic, as a messianic rabbi, I've seen this one many times. You'd be surprised how often I've seen this as an issue. The third one, letter D, is decisiveness in doing good. And decisiveness involves decision being decisive in doing good. Now, I've seen people decisive in doing things that aren't good, rebel, all kinds of other things. But decisiveness in doing good, this idea is there's a continuous refrain in the Scripture concerning that, to be decisive about serving God and be decisive about doing good as you serve God. Does that mean we're all perfect as we go along the way? Uh, this, this, this boy isn't, I'll tell you right now. Maybe you are, but I'm not. And one of the most repeated phrases in the book of Joshua, you can probably speak that back to me, is this one. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you have heard that verse before? All of us have. Beautiful songs have been written about, etc. But yet contextually, let me remind you of the context of that statement. Contextually, Joshua was pleading towards the end of his very life, he was pleading with Israel to not be, to use our terms here, not be divided in their loyalties to God and his leadership. To not be divided. Note what Joshua chapter 24 verse 15 says. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, many people go to the other side of the river in their life. They chase after those gods. Whether the gods which your father served there are on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And there he was, he was calling them to be decisive in their choice of serving God. Please, friends here today, be decisive about your trust in the Lord. Even if it puts you at a little bit of an angle with some of your coworkers. I'm not saying be obnoxious towards them. I'm saying be decisive. Stand up and be counted for the Lord. Who knows how he will use you if you're willing to step forward in his name, his power, his authority, and present his case. And I've discovered that there are many people wanting to hear his side of things. And our society has been squelching and and tamping down any type of explanation from the viewpoint of Scripture about anything. You know, we don't want religion in the public arena type ideas. James chapter 1, verse 8. Maybe the most quoted New Covenant verse about being double-minded says, you can quote this one probably, a double-minded man is unstable, what? In all his ways, all of them, unstable, double-minded man. Make sure your, your focus on the Lord is sure and firm. And as you're focused on the Lord, he's your Lord, your Savior, and you're not ashamed of the good news of Messiah. It is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first in priority, but also to the Gentiles. Make sure that you're decisive about this. And you know what? And I don't say this crassly, but let the chips fall where they will after that. Because as for you and your house, you will serve the Lord says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But, you know, that's not the only time in the book of James that he used the term double-minded. This is the one we focus on. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. But a little bit later on in Yaakov, James chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, it tells us this, some of the new covenant commandments that we know about. says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. How many believe that's a promise right there? May we avail ourselves of that to draw near to Him, knowing He will reciprocate according to His purpose. If we draw near to God, what will He do? He will draw near to us. But then it says this Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Boy, that's not a good way to make friends and influence people, huh? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts. And here's the other use of the word double-minded. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And double-minded is connected to what? A statement about the heart. And here I'm so thankful. I've said this many times that we face towards the east towards Jerusalem if we lived to the east we'd face towards the west by the way but we face towards the east towards Jerusalem we say the Shema and then we repeat the Ve'ahavta. we sing this beautiful melody that we learn from the Orthodox Jewish community of Sao Paulo Brazil that's the melody we sing here this beautiful melody et Adonai Elohecha. say it with me can you say it? <laughs> and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your strength, all your mind. That is a tough challenge. And you know, my conclusion at this, the only possible way to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit.. <laughs> He has a way of lopping off the flesh in our life and we'll let him there. So James chapter four, verse seven and eight to repeat. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double mind. That brings me to area number four, which is discipline discipline. Many ways to look at discipline. In this case, I'm not necessarily talking about disciplining a child and the way he should go, and afterwards he won't depart from it. But it's an oft-repeated theological question. Some of you may have heard this question, and that oft-repeated theological question goes like this. Can there be disciples without discipline? Can there be disciples without discipline? And one answer that's presented to that, this is something that would be debated in a Bible school or theological setting. Can there be disciples without discipline? And the answer is, yes, there can be disciples without discipline, but they won't be very good ones at all. And since part of this area was covered in number one, The first D, when we talked about doctrine, I want to to present this passage of scripture which says a lot. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, when it comes to being a disciple and being disciplined. One of the many questions Rav Shaul poses, not only in the book of 1 Corinthians, but also in Romans, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? And then he says this, exhorts us, by implication us here 2,000 years later, and says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. He's talking about ancient races of Greece. And the people get ready to run these races. Where did we get the Olympics from? Right from that era. It seems like Rob Schull, is not the only place he talks about racing and stuff like that. It seems like he knew a lot about that. And he, he, he recognizes that those that were competing to win those races back then in ancient Greece, they were doing what they can to get themselves in line physically. They were disciplining themselves to run that race. He said, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. And here's where he takes it a step higher, says, but we for an imperishable one. The race you're running now by faith, you're running for an imperishable crown. Now there may be Nobel Prizes in this world. There may be stars in the sidewalk in Hollywood there may be all those prizes and there may even be very good people who have won them but the prize that awaits those who are faithful to the Lord eye has not seen ear hasn't heard what good things God has stored up for those who really love him I believe that today And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus. Notice the next statement, not with uncertainty. I am not double-minded about this at all, he says. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified." There's much more to say about discipline, but that is a passage worth studying. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. That brings me to number five again. Number five is the fifth D is dependability. Are you dependable? (laughs) Can you be counted on? Well, I I was looking just, I mean, I have my own definition, as you may have your own definition of what uh, what dependability is. And I thought I would look online at some of the more uh, classic dictionaries. And there was one dictionary, uh, it might have been Oxford, I don't remember which one, it was a classic dictionary online version, that in its attempt to define what dependability meant, actually offered some synonyms. Words that had similar meaning there. And I have to say that that helped me a lot to understand what it is. And I want to share them with you. These were the four synonyms offered that were given to describe or define dependability. Here were the four synonyms. Reliable. Trustworthy. And I love this next one. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> Solid. And the last one was faithful. Faithful. And when I read that, faithful, I just had a whole flood of passages of scripture come to my mind that talk about faithfulness. I mean, after all, great is his faithfulness, morning by morning, fresh and anew to us, as Lamentation says. And it says that Messiah is faithful, he can't deny himself. That's his very nature. Even when we're faithless, he is faithful. So being dependable, being reliable, being trustworthy, being solid, being faithful, these are, these are characteristics that need to be worked in our life because they reflect somewhat who God is. How many agree with that? Those are godly characteristics. Now you just have to put the un-word or the un prefix before those words and you get the opposite, the antonym. For reliable, how about Unreliable. For dependable, how about undependable? (laughs) For solid, I don't know, is there a word unsolid? But it certainly communicates. (laughs) And then faithful, unfaithful. I think reliable being dependable, reliable, solid, and faithful more reflects who God is and what he desires in our lives. And he helps us by his spirit. But let me read you this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. It says this in more than one place, these first three words. It says what? Say it with me, please, the first three words. God is faithful. Do you believe that today? Has he been faithful to you? He is. Even when we're faithless and we don't deserve it, he's so faithful to us. God is faithful, and then it links this idea. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. He's faithful, and because of it, you've been welcomed and called into fellowship with his holy son, our Messiah. What a privilege and honor that is. And I want to share with you, as we conclude this this fifth D of dependability, just one statement that I think summarizes what Yeshua taught about being faithful, reliable, dependable, etc. There are many passages as I was studying for this and preparing for this message. I realized there were so many passages, parables, statements that Yeshua said in this area of faithfulness and unfaithfulness that trying to whittle it down to something that's manageable on a Shabbat morning was difficult, but I came up with this. And I would suggest this to you as pretty much you know, what summarized. It seems to summarize what Yeshua taught about faithfulness. In Luke chapter 16. Begin with verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, and this is quite a segue, I would suggest to you. It's another topic, but the next verse is quite a segue. Therefore, if you have not been faithful, notice how direct that is, speaking directly to us. It says, he who is faithful is is speaking not so directly to us, but when he gets to verse 11, he's pointing at them. He's he's pointing to them specifically. He's addressing them specifically. He says, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches <laughs> now if you had control over all this and you saw someone couldn't even deal faithfully with ties and offerings and money and things like that would you want to give that person all the riches of heaven oh you'd hold back you'd want them to be trained more you'd want them to step up to play and to be faithful because he was faithful in what is least is faithful also in much and he was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. The bottom line is it's a character issue. Person of character it doesn't matter. If it's a small thing or a big thing, they're entrusted. They're going to be faithful with it either way. Faithful. Area number six of seven, the 6D demotion of self. Ooh, you know, it could have been promotion of self. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what we see all over the place? Promotion of self, demotion of self is what I want to talk about is demotion of self. So in kingdom's terms, demotion comes before promotion. Or as Proverbs 15 verse 33 states it, before honor comes Humility. Everything that humbles will be exalted. <laughs> Proverbs 15, 30, And there are many Proverbs that state this, by the way. But Proverbs fifteen thirty three states it just like that. Before honor comes humility. And what does the book of James say? Humble yourself in the sight of God. And what will he do? He'll lift you up. Now, we cannot help but look at Yeshua's example without marveling at how he humbled himself for us. He left all the riches of heaven, all the glory that was there, to come down to this fallen place, where sin and and to be born in the most meager of circumstances, where there was no room in the inn, and there was some kind of a feeding trough for his to lay, for his head to lay first time. But he did all that for you and me, and he taught us humility, humbling ourselves before the Lord. He taught us that it's necessary to humble ourselves in order to uh, uh, attain all that God has for us. Because God does what? He resists the proud. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humility is necessary for kingdom sense. And this humility of heart, by the way, which shows itself in other ways. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. How much can be done through selfish ambition and conceit? Nada. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. It's an inner reflection that should show through our lives. Yeshua didn't come to be served. He came to serve. In fact, prophetically, he's called the servant of the, my servant, as uh, Isaiah calls him. So let's commit ourselves to serving others with genuine care. Gossip needs to go. Meddling in other people's business needs to go. Being a busybody, a tailbearer, a rumor monger, all that needs to go. That will make our life much better. Notice what Matthew chapter 23 says, verse 11. But he who is greatest among you (laughs) shall be the one who has the biggest muscles, (laughs) has the most in his paycheck, shall be the one whom everyone looks to, even. We have many dictators on the face of the earth right now that people look to as something. That's always been the case. It was in the first century. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself, I think this is one of those promises, will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, let's conclude with number seven. Again, this is part one of a two-part series, Lord Willing. I'm going to continue next Shabbat. Something that's a, a, a little bit different than this, but they connect. Area number seven, the seven D's. The seventh D is declare Him in your life. It's declaration. You are declaring something in your life. Whether we realize it or not, we are. People see us we represent some. I know my kids, our kids, I, I was, I've, set, I've saved several things that are. Older sons gave me as gifts. They gave me, uh, I keep it right at the side of my desk, in the top drawer of my desk. One of them gave me a New York Mets magnet. <laughs> but I'd rather he had given me something different, but I treasure that, because we represent more than these things of the world. We're in the world, but we're not. Of the world, (laughs) have you ever received something that that someone gave to you and you thought, wow, I don't know this quite. Fits me, just Carl and me, that's it. (laughs) But declare him in your life, let people know. If you cover up the gospel, it is being covered up. It's hid from those who need it the most, those people around you. And again, and I say this as many years doing this and having some tough circumstances. Declare him in your life. Let the chips fall where well, they will. But declare him in your life. You'll see he'll take you and guide you and direct you. If you're faithful to him, he will. It tells us in Colossians 3.11 that Yeshua is to be all in all in all, in all of us. He's to be all in all of us. And there's a powerful statement that's found in John chapter 12 that Yeshua said, and beginning with verse 41. It says, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory. The his there is the Lord's glory. Isaiah didn't spout off about himself. He spouted off about the Lord's glory. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and then and spoke of him. He declared him to those around him. How many of you are glad that we have the book of Isaiah right now? I am. I'm thankful for that book. That's because he declared what the Lord said for him to declare. Verse 42, though, John 12, verse 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in Yeshua. Notice this, please. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. So were they believing on the Lord? Yeah, they seemed to be. But because of the Pharisees, they wouldn't say it. And it says, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. And there's this indicting statement, verse 43, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's been said uh, etymologically and linguistically that the name Jewish, Yehudi, comes from Yehuda, which means someone who lifts praise to God. Galatians 6, verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Rapshaul wrote, And David, in the midst of his most difficult time, Psalm 51 is the time when he, after he sinned with Bathsheba and he's confronted by the Navi Natan, Nathan the prophet, we have Psalm 51. That's the context. And in Psalm 51, verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Even in difficult times, we should praise God. How many agree with that? Praise him in the morning, praise him in the evening, praise him at supper time, <laughs> praise him at all times. Well, that's the conclusion, but I have one passage I want to share with you, and it's from Peter. We haven't talked much about Peter today. But Peter says this as we approach some more topics next week. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this. As each one has received a gift... Minister it to one another. Notice the next statement. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it. As with the ability which God supplies. That in all things God may be glorified through Messiah Yeshua. To whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever and will you say that last hebrew word with me amen let's say that again amen will you please pray let's pray father how we praise you this day great is your name glorious are your deeds blameless are you lord i pray today that we would be the people you want us to be forgive us our many trespasses And help us, Lord, to be faithful, faithful in this community, be unifiers, not dividers, to speak encouragingly, to do the things that's right in your sight. Help us to to exemplify you as best as we can so that you might be glorified. Thank you for this Shabbat. We commit the rest of this time to you. In Yeshua's name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, Excellent children's programs and Bible studies on Tuesday nights For more information please visit our website www.roshpinah.org That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 Or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua